see the person, the work of, and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Uh, I'm not sure yet. We may take another week and talk about this next week. Um, obviously, we could spend a lot of weeks talking about it. But Mercy Hill, I just want to remind us that we were not made to live this life alone. And we were not created and God has not called us to carry out his mission in our own strength. But whatever he has called us to do, he has called us to do it by the power, the supernatural power of the person of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is God. He is just as much God as God the Father is God. He is just as much God as Jesus is God. The Holy Spirit is God. And if you have believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, if you have received the good news of the gospel, then what the Bible teaches, and we'll see this this morning in this chapter, as many as well as in many other places, is that the Holy Spirit, God himself, lives inside of you. He, God lives inside of you. And the implication is simply this. How can anything be the same? How, how, how can it be possible that the same God that was there at the beginning hovering in the darkness and over the surface of the deep and God spoke and said, let there be light and the Spirit began to create the Spirit of God and the Word of God mingling together, creating the work of God. Like that, that God lives inside of us. How can anything be the same? And yet, I, I talk to so many Christians and I've been through different seasons in my life where we continually feel dry. We continually feel powerless. We are wore out because it's not for lack of effort, but it's because we're trying to do it in our own effort and by our own strength. And hear me, if you're running the race for Jesus, I'm not saying that there's not going to be times where for sure you get a little bit tired and weary and, and you need to rest. However, what the Bible teaches, what, what Jesus came to die for is, yes, our salvation, yes, that we could be with him someday forever in heaven, but what he came to die for, um, as Paul's going to make clear here today in Romans 8, is that, that now the holy, the Holy Spirit, God himself, that the holy can dwell with the unholy, who's us. That if you have believed in Jesus, that you are now covered with the righteousness of Christ, that the blood of Christ covers you. It gives you right standing. It gives you righteousness in God. And even though you may not be practically holy, you are positionally holy before him. And so the Holy Spirit can rest upon you. And it's not just so that we can say that, I'm like, oh, that's, that's neat, I guess. Cool, Eric? Is that what I'm supposed to say? Cool? Christian cool? No. The Holy Spirit is to be a reality in your life every waking moment. Every waking moment. And I would wager to bet that many of us have come in here this morning and maybe this past week, we haven't even thought once about the Holy Spirit. We haven't thought once about the reality of his presence. We haven't thought once about the fact that Jesus died for this very thing. 
Jesus said on the night that he was going to be betrayed to his disciples in the upper room, he goes, guys, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm going to, I'm going to send the helper to be with you. But if I'm honest, a lot of Christians live like orphans. You live like you have no help. You live like you have to carry out everything in your own strength. You live like we live like we have to figure everything out on our own. We live like we have to have these great strategies and plans because if we don't, because if we don't handle it, then who's going to handle it? The Holy Spirit, guys, wants, wants to help us. Um, and it is something that I want us to grow in as a church. Uh, as Conrad mentioned earlier, um, during the announcement times that tonight we're going to be having a partnership class. We will go through our doctrinal statement as part of that partnership class. I would again just give a little plug. If you've been coming to Mercy Hill, you want to uh, kind of join with us in the mission that God has, you know, called us to, which is to glorify his name, help people worship, make disciples, you know, all that. Uh, we, we would love for you to come. But one of the things we'll talk about tonight is just on doctrine, like on paper, you know, what the Bible teaches about the Holy Spirit and his gifts. And, and I feel like we have a, most of us have a good grasp of the right doctrine, like what the Bible actually teaches. But where I feel that we're lacking, and again, if this is anybody's fault, I take full responsibility as one of the leaders here. But one of the areas where, not lacking, but where we need to grow in, where we need, where there's room for a lot of growth, is in the, the functional, practical, day-to-day -day leading and guiding of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Because, guys, it, 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 is, it is a tragedy if we live like orphans. It's a tragedy, and it is not the will of God that we live this life constantly feeling alone and feeling unempowered. Jesus Christ came to purchase for himself a people that are filled with the Holy Spirit, and that practically day to day, moment by moment, they live with him, they walk with him, and he lives their life through them for the honor and glory of the Father because there's no other way to do it. There's no other way to do it. Are you with me so far? How many of you would like to know more about the Holy Spirit? Anybody? And not just know more, but really, sometimes we can get weirded out, especially in conservative circles, which tends to be what we are around here. But we can be, get weirded out when we begin to talk about the experience of the Holy Spirit. Guys, the Holy Spirit is not weird. He is wonderful. He's awesome. He is amazing. He brings peace. He brings comfort. And he brings power. There was promised power that Jesus promised us that we would have as we follow him. So I want to, there's lots of places we could go, and, and I don't, I'm not, it's not wrong to do, but I'm just not real good at communicating when I'm skipping all around the Bible. And so I wanted to go to Romans chapter 8. The book of Romans, um, uh, it, it's not uh, the most exhaustive, it, or it's not an exhaustive book on all doctrine and all theology in the Bible, and that should be obvious because it's not the only book in this book, okay? It's not the only letter. Like, it's not exhaustive, but I would argue that the book of Romans is the most comprehensive. In other words, from beginning to end, all the major doctrines of the Christian life, all that we would say falls under the realm of orthodoxy, that like if you're going to be a Christian, then you have to believe this, you have to adhere to this, it's found in the book of Romans. And up through the first seven chapters of the book of Romans, Paul is just laying out the sin, the sin of man, whether you're religious or non-religious, whether you're a Jew or a Gentile or whatever, that all have sinned and fallen um, short of the glory of God and that we are only saved by grace through faith in Christ. It's only faith that justifies us. But he's not mentioned the Holy Spirit 
Spirit very much. But here in Romans chapter 8, which is a very famous passage of Scripture, it's one of the mountaintops of Scripture, um, and begins with this famous verse, we'll see that verse 1, that there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now all of a sudden, Paul here, in the first 27 verses of this chapter, he mentions the Spirit uh, 19 times, I believe it is. And so what I want to do this morning is, is this is not necessarily what you would call exegetical preaching or teaching, where I'm going to go and kind of help you like think through kind of thought by thought what I believe the, the author and the Holy Spirit through the original, through the, the human author Paul was trying to convey, but I just want to do more of a survey of this chapter where I just want to go through and I want to show you those 19 places that Paul mentions the Holy Spirit in this chapter. And so it's going to be kind of very, very broad. Um, you know, guys know, usually I do three points. This morning I've got about 19 points. Or, I mean, I, I literally lost track, so, you know, if you were thinking about getting out early today, <laughs> Sorry. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. We'll, we'll try to move, we'll try to move uh, quickly, but, but I pray, I just pray, and I pray that you'd pray in your heart right now, just that the Holy Spirit would speak to you this morning, and that he would teach us all that he wants to teach us. And so I'm just going to begin to read through this, give some commentary along the way uh, as we see these different things about the Spirit, and hopefully the Lord will do among us whatever it is that he desires to do. Romans chapter 8, verse 1. There is therefore now, now, because Jesus came. If you believed in Jesus and if you believe the gospel, there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And I'm going to, you know, amen, right? Guys, you're not condemned this morning. That's right. You're not condemned. Nate's excited about that. Taylor's excited about that. That's good. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because his sacrifice, his blood on the cross is enough to give you right standing before God. Verse 2, and here comes the Spirit, okay? And this is kind of like the big heading under which everything else falls. Verse 2, for the law of the Spirit of life. Everybody say, Spirit of life. The Spirit of life. This is, in my opinion, this is kind of the summary of everything that Paul is going to say about the Holy Spirit in this chapter is this, is that the Spirit brings life. The Spirit brings life is that if you have no life, it is because you are not practically, functionally walking with the Holy Spirit. Or maybe if you don't know Jesus, then the Holy Spirit does not even live inside of you. Maybe you feel alone. But all life, what do you think of when you think of life? I think of springtime. I think of newness. I think of trees that, were, that once looked dead begin to turn, begin to turn green. I think of uh, little babies being born and the celebration and the happiness. I think of marriage new beginnings, new life together, and from that life of a marriage, there's going to be more life, you know, little babies and kids and families and grandkids, and it goes, life! That is what the Holy Spirit came to bring us, guys. He came to bring us life. And it breaks my heart, and it should break your heart if you live consistently without life, because that's not what Jesus Christ came to accomplish, amen? He came to bring us life, and I want you, man, there's no way we're going to get through all this this morning. It's just now hitting me. You'd think I'd know better, but like, guys, he wants you to have life. He wants you to have life abundantly to the full. And yes, there's lots of false teaching that will say that it's just lies, like, like nicer cars and bigger houses and shinier toys. That's not the life that Jesus was talking about. That's not the life that Paul's talking about here in the Spirit. He's talking, about, he's talking about having a relationship with Almighty God himself and not just outside of you. I mean, you know, the, like how awesome would it be? How awesome would it be 
If you could wake up every morning like I did this morning, you know, and I blindly, you know, rubbing my eyes and my con- slipped with my contacts in, which is always a mistake, and, you know, and I'm shuffling to my coffee maker and, you know, just get that coffee going. How awesome would it be if every morning as you did that, you didn't even have to make the coffee, but Jesus was just standing there with a fresh cup, all brewed and ready to go for you. You're like, man, that'd be awesome. That'd be awesome. Listen to me. Listen to me. And, and, and listen to the word of God. As awesome as you think that that might be, I'm telling you the reality of the Holy Spirit is even greater than that. And it's not something we have to imagine because like Jesus wasn't standing in bodily form at my kitchen table this morning or at my coffee maker handing me, I, and he did, if you tell me he did it to you, we gotta have another conversation. That's not, that just does, that, that's not how it happened. But what Jesus says is that, no, it's, it's even better than that. Listen to Jesus' words in John chapter 16. He says to his disciples, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. Listen, it is to your advantage that I go away. How could that possibly be true? Think about how that hit those first disciples. What? How could that possibly be good for us, Lord, that you go away? He says, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper, the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. A few verses later, he says, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. For when the spirit of truth comes, and he's come now in the day and age in which we live, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me. He will take what is mine and he will declare to you, listen, all that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said, he will take what is mine and give it to you. All that the Father has, he gives to Jesus. All that Jesus has, he gives to us through the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit wants to make those things known to us, all that he has given. Brothers and sisters, you are not orphans. We are not left alone. God loves us and he has given us glory upon glory upon ever increasing glory that he wants to bring about in our life. And when the spirit, when we are walking in the power of the spirit, first and foremost, understand that the spirit wants to bring life into every area of our lives. For the law of the spirit of life, verse two, let me get back to the text here. For the law of the spirit of life life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For what God has done, okay, so the law is do this and you will live. The gospel is God has done this so you can live. What God has done, what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, in us. Again, I don't have a ton of time to unpack all this, but yes, we are positionally righteous before God because the blood of Jesus covers us. We are now made righteous, okay? But it doesn't just stop there. The spirit of life that now lives in us wants the law to now be fulfilled in our lives. And I'm not talking about the ceremonial law of like killing lambs and, you know, washing your hands just so before you come to worship God. But the righteous requirement of the law is holiness and love, is that we would hate sin and we would love people. And that we would be getting rid of sin and the stuff that that does not bring honor and glory to God and ultimately destroys us. That the spirit of life wants to lead us into a life of holiness and of love. This is the righteous requirement of the law. And by the spirit of life in us, it wants to be fulfilled in us. Verse 4. That we would walk in holiness and love. Verse 4. Who walk not according to the flesh 
but according to the Spirit. Here's the next thing I want to say about the Spirit, is that this life of the Spirit that I'm talking about, listen, it is only experienced step by step. This is important. If you're taking notes, write that down. The life of the Spirit can only be experienced step by step, or to say it another way, moment by moment. Is that you may have had a mountaintop experience throughout your Christian life. We, we might have many mountaintop experiences. And those are great. Those are awesome. I pray for a mountaintop experience every single time we gather together here on Sunday mornings and in our small churches or, or anytime. Like, I want the Holy Spirit to come and to move among us in a supernatural way every single time. And, and sometimes it seems to be greater than others or, or, or whatever, but we all have those times. But what he's saying here is that the life of the Spirit can only be experienced step by step or moment by moment. And I'm getting this in verse 4. Look at this. It says, who walk that the righteous requirement of the law is fulfilled in us who walk step by step, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Is I praise God for the mountaintop experiences that I've had where God's presence just seems so real and so tangible and it was life-changing. But life in the Spirit to consistently experience His power is just a step-by-step, moment-by-moment, process. Every moment of every day, we are either walking in the Spirit or we are walking in the flesh. And the flesh is not the, you know, this, this material here that's on top of my skin and bones. The flesh is, it's the idea of this, this old nature, these old desires that still live inside of us, okay? So the life of the Spirit, if we're going to experience all that God has for us, it must be experienced step by step, moment by moment. And there's good news in this. Because even if you didn't feel like you were walking in the Spirit, step by step in the Spirit this morning, you can start right now. Right now. Right now. And you know why you can start right now? Because of Jesus. Because of what he did. That the way, this throne of grace, this new way into the presence of God is constantly open to us because he has made the way. When he died on the cross where the presence of God used to live in the Holy of Holies in the temple, that curtain was torn in two from top to bottom. And it's the idea that we now have access to God, but also that God is coming out, man. And nothing is to ever be the same. And so we have access to the presence of God, and simply by confessing our sins, coming to Jesus again, asking him to fill us, we can walk in the power of the Spirit. Verse 5. Okay, for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live in according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the the Spirit, okay? So another area where the Holy Spirit wants to bring life, like he wants to bring life in all of life, and he, he wants this life to be experienced step by step, but he wants to bring life to your minds. He wants to bring life to your minds, that we live according to the Spirit, set their mind on the things of the Spirit. Is there life in your mind this morning, or is there death? Most Christians, and you can't get around this, like it's not possible to walk in the Spirit and have a mind that is set on the flesh and death. But it's helpful to know that this is part of the process. Because guys, the Holy Spirit, before he's going to bring his power out through your life, he's first going to bring his power in your soul. Your mind is part of your soul. And he wants you to set your mind on the things of the Spirit. And again, I don't, we don't have time to go into all of this, but like once you get a couple chapters later to Romans chapter 12, he says that we are transformed by the renewing of our, what, you know? 
our mind. So not only do we have this book that we can renew our minds with, but we have this helper inside of us who is constantly crying out for this book. The most powerful being in all the universe lives inside of you, and he wants you to live righteously. He wants you to live with life in your mind. He does not want your mind to constantly be bombarded with death, with worry, with fear, with anxiety, with sin, with desires of the flesh constantly ruling you to where you feel like you are a slave. That is not how he's called us to live as his children. But the Spirit wants to bring life to our minds. Keep going on here, verse 6. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. See, it's good news that the Holy Spirit wants to control our minds, wants to bring life to our minds. Why? Because there's life and peace there. How many want life and peace in their thought life as opposed to death? Anybody? Yes, this is the Spirit's desire for you. And so again, if, the one of, if, if God himself, if the most powerful being in all of the universe, lives inside of you and wants you to experience life in your mind, why do we not experience it? Why do we not experience it consistently? There's only one reason. Here it is, and it's not profound. It's because we choose sin. Because we choose to live moment by moment rather than with the Spirit. We choose to live in our old nature where we're constantly just walking after those same old things. The things that we used to crave, the things that used to kind of satisfy us, and they, they kind of satisfied us for a little bit, but they didn't really satisfy us because, you know, we were all miserable in our sin. And if we know Jesus, like, there's a reason why we turned from sin, because it was leading to death, and it wasn't any good. But if we're continually now not having life in our mind, and the life of the Spirit is not in us, and we, we feel alone, and our mind is bombarded with death, as Paul sums it up here, it's because we're choosing to walk in it. Brothers and sisters, I want to tell you something. L listen, and you, you have to stop lying to yourself. I'm telling you this in love. If you're constantly living in the desires of the flesh and with death in your mind, it is because you choose to do so. Okay? And I'm telling you that in love because you cannot blame anybody else. You can't. I can't. When I live in the flesh, when bad fruit, when works of the flesh are coming out of me, it is because Eric Miller chooses to do so. And in that moment, I'm living like the old Eric Miller, the Eric Miller that did not know Jesus. And they used to try to handle him things himself. And so, you know, I maybe, you know, deal with situations that I couldn't control with, with anger or with frustration or with saying something mean or with harsh words or whatever. And when I choose to do that, and when you choose to do it, it's exactly that. You choose to do it. I choose to do it. But the Holy Spirit is there every single moment, and we can choose to surrender control of our lives to him, choose to surrender those old ways and habits and responses that used to be inside of us, and we can choose to say, no, Lord, I don't want to do that anymore. I want to walk with you. I want to go where you're going. Holy Spirit, take control of me right now and fill me and help me not to respond in a way that will bring disgrace to you and to your name and ultimately death to my life. Are you with me? Guys, it's true. Please, I, I, it, there's you got to own it. You have to own it. You have to own it. We do not need to choose. Again, this is, this is good news. We do not need to choose to live in the old way of the flesh. Verse 7, for the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Now, he's speaking in a broader way here also of those who do not know Jesus at all. They, again, they cannot please God. Why? Because the, the Spirit does not live in them. And he'll explain this more in the next verse, verse 9. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now listen, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. 
Very important verse. Very important verse doctrinally, theologically, for the person and work of the Holy Spirit. If anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. To say it the other way, everybody who belongs to Christ absolutely has the Spirit of God. The question is not if you've believed in Jesus, if you've believed the gospel, as to whether or not you have the Holy Spirit. The question is, does the Holy Spirit have you? Moment by moment, step by step, as you're walking with him. Are you surrendered to him? Are you delighting in all that Jesus has done? Are you pre- this is why I talk about preaching the gospel to yourself, reminding yourself of the good news, renewing your minds on what is true, on what God says about you. And again, just one of the things that God says about you at the very beginning of the chapter is that this, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That as you preach that to yourself, the Holy Spirit says, yes. The Holy Spirit says, Jesus is awesome. That's what the Holy Spirit's constantly saying inside of us. The Holy Spirit wants to make much of Jesus. And so he wants to move your life and align your life to make much of Jesus in very practical ways. But if you know Jesus, the Spirit of God is in you. Verse 10, but if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. Verse 11, if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you in you. Okay, now several things here, and you see them, and again, just pointing these out theologically, that this is, the Holy Spirit in verse 9 is referred to as the Spirit of God. In verse 10, he says, but if, he he uses another term, he says, if Christ is in you, so like, are they separate, or who's in me, or was it wrong to say that Jesus lives inside of me? No, it's not wrong. Colossians says that Christ in you is the hope of glory. Paul says in Galatians, you know, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So these are synonymous terms that terms that it is the Spirit of God. God lives in you. The Spirit lives in you. Jesus lives in you. But the Holy Spirit is now in you if you know Jesus. And he's in you, again, guys, for a reason. Because he wants to accomplish much through you and give you life and peace and spread that life and peace to all those around you. Let me, let me pause here um, for a second and, and just point out the word dwell or dwells in, verse, uh, in verses 9 and two places in 11. That the Spirit of God in verse 9 dwells in you, verse 11. Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you uh, through his Spirit who dwells in you at the end of verse 11. This idea for dwells here, it's this idea that like he's at home and he ain't going anywhere. He's at home, and he wants to make himself at home. I've used a similar analogy to this before, but, um, but I can't think of a better one. Is that, you know, we, we moved a couple months ago, and we're there. Like, we live there, like, you know, this new residence that we live in. But even though we're, we're there, that's our home. Hannah is continuing to make it our home. That she's painting, and she's decorating, and she's making it homey. And this is the idea behind dwells here is that, that the Holy Spirit, yeah, he, he's in you. He ain't going anywhere. You are now the temple of the Holy Spirit. You are where he lives, but he wants to make himself at home in you. And listen, guys, just to, to use that analogy and just use different language to say the same thing that I've been saying. This is what Jesus came to accomplish. Do not resist him. Do not resist the way that he wants to make himself at home in you. Hannah, in decorating our house, does not usually take my decorating advice 
very well. Here's the thing, nor should she. Hey, hey, babe, I've got an idea, you know, how about bright blue on that wall over there? No, no, we're not, we're not, we're not doing that. <laughs> Guys, the Holy Spirit knows what needs to be done in your life. Okay, let him have his way. Let him decorate your heart however he wants to decorate it. Let him get rid of the unforgiveness, of the bitterness, of the unbelief, of the fear, of the worry, of the anger. Let him get rid of it. Here's the thing, and again, I, I'm, I know I'm repeating myself a lot here, but all that stuff, guys, you can't get rid of it. You can't do it. That's why he sent the Spirit to live in you. Because apart from the work of the Spirit, you can't change. You, you can't be a more patient husband. You can't be a more understanding spouse, wife. You, you, you can't. It is the work of the Spirit, and so our dependence upon him is absolutely paramount. And so this Spirit, again, it is the Spirit of God. It is the Spirit of Christ. This life looks like a life of righteousness, verse 10. The Spirit is life because of righteousness. Um, the Spirit is making himself at home in you. So much that could be said. Let's keep going. Verse 12. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Listen, look at verse 13, look at the language. He says, but if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body. So the, the practical day-to-day, week-to-week sin habits that we all have, that we fall into, okay? Most of us, the places where we sin, we sin in the same areas. And that might be different for some of us. Sometimes we'll do something, you know, one-off. But like, you know, I'm not really worried about myself today. And I'm not, please hear me, I'm not in any way... Um, uh, making light of if somebody does struggle with this, but like I'm probably not going to go out today and snort cocaine. Okay, like it's not that's not I, I'm not addicted, not one of my sin habits. But what I what I could do is maybe get overly frustrated with my kids, or maybe respond to them with a harsh word or an anger. That's a sin habit that I do fall into sometimes. The only way that I can overcome my sin habits and the only way that you can overcome your sin habits, listen, again, verse 13, is by the Spirit. So Here's why I'm saying this. is because so many people think the Christian life is you're saved by grace, you pray this prayer, there's a transaction, your eternal life is taken care of, and now for the, the next 30, 40, 50, 60 years, you think that out of thankfulness for what he's done, and, and hear me, we should be thankful that now your response to pay him back is self-discipline. And you are going to try with your best white-knuckled grasp, you're going you're to figure this out. God, that, that is where, I don't know how else to explain it, like that is where so many Christians live. You live thinking that you can overcome your sin, that you can put your sin that's still in your, in, in your body as he says here in verse 13, you think that you can put it to death by your own effort and self-determination and willpower. You can't. You can't. One of two things will happen. You will either become despairing eventually, and I've seen this so many times. This happens all the time in our community. I, I, I cannot tell you how many times I've had this conversation. 
is that people cannot understand why they are so, they're so discouraged. They're so overwhelmed. And and so they begin to question the love of God for them. And they're just like, something's wrong. I don't know why. I just don't really have any joy anymore. God doesn't seem real to me anymore. And it's because in response to the gospel, like they believed in Jesus, they were saved by grace, but now they're trying to live their Christian life in the power of the flesh, in the power of their own efforts. Guys, it starts with grace. It goes on with grace. It ends with grace. It's the same thing. At salvation, you cried out to Jesus, Jesus, I can't save myself. And what did he do? He saved you. And he came and he dwelt with you. Day to day, when you're facing temptation, when there are the sins in your flesh, sin habits, that want to get you to, to, to stumble, to fall. What do you do? You say, God, I can't do it. I need you to save me from this, from this thing that's right here in front of me, from this temptation that's overwhelming me. Overwhelming me. And guess what? Guys, he will. He will over and over and over and over and over and over again. It is by faith from first to last in the finished work of Christ. And now if we have accepted the finished work of Christ on our behalf for our salvation, it is in the power of the Spirit. As we look away from ourselves, look away from our own efforts, and look to Him. Wonderful verse in the Old Testament. It says that the eyes of the Lord run to and fro. And this is not what he's talking about, but I always picture little eyeballs with legs, you know, running to and fro. It's not it, but the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth, looking for, and this is where I love, I think, the, cow, the way the King James puts it. It says, for a heart that is turned upward. Isn't that awesome? That it's salvation. You turned your heart upward. You said, God, I can't do it, and he saved you. And when you face temptation day by day, moment by moment, as you're walking with him, you say, God, I can't do this, and he'll save you. It is by the Spirit that you put to death the deeds of the flesh. That the, the Spirit, part of the Spirit's life, again, what I'm saying is that the Spirit's life, He wants to give you victory over sin. So, so much of our Christianity, just one other thing here. So much of our Christianity, guys, is, um, is only transactional. And so it's never transformational. What I mean by that, again, is, and hear me, it is not wrong but it's reductionistic. It's not wrong, but it's not the whole of it. Here's what I mean. So many of us, this is my testimony, again, it's not wrong, but it's not the whole of it, okay? Is that many of you, hear this one, you, you prayed a prayer to get saved. That's awesome. I'm, I'm serious. I'm not like, that is, that's great. But you made this, here's what I mean. You made this transaction and now, okay, like I, I'm, I got my get-out-of-hell-free card, I'm, I'm, in, I'm in heaven, and thank you, and that's, and that's good. But if all you know is that transaction, then it's never going to actually transform your life. Is that, yes, there is an entry point. I'm, I'm not saying it's less than a transaction, but I'm saying, guys, the Christian life is so much more than a transaction. It's so much more than a prayer that we prayed however many years ago. It is a moment-by-moment relationship and walk with him. And that is where the transformation comes. Verse 14, again, for all who are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. What a wonderful verse. When's the last time you were led by the Spirit? For all who are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. Verse 15, here's where the Spirit wants to lead you. The Spirit wants to lead you 
into the life and love of, his, of your heavenly Father. Verse 15, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear again, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. How I many of you guys have heard say before that like the word, the, the word Abba, it's like the closest thing in our English language that we have to it is probably the word Daddy. Um, it's not, that's not apples to apples. Abba is kind of the idea of like, yeah, I mean, it's a little bit of that. It's kind of the informal word that uh, Middle Eastern children would call their dad is Abba. But it's not just like daddy. It's kind of like it carries with it the idea of like, my dad's tougher than your dad. You ever say that as like a little kid? My, dad could, my dad's tougher than your dad. That, that's the idea. It's that, Father, you are, you are everything that I need. And see, one of the marks of your salvation, this is why so many people, listen to me, this is very important, because so many people I talk with struggle with security in their salvation. In other words, they, they look back on this time when they made this transaction, but they're not now living in the life of the Spirit, and so they, they begin to become insecure about their salvation. And they say, well, man, I'm not sure if I'm still saved. Like, does God still love me? Has anybody ever had ever struggled with that? I think everybody does at some point. But the reason we struggle with it is because, again, we're looking back to this transaction. The way security is gained is by walking in the Spirit, having the Spirit cry out of us, as he's saying here, Abba, Father. And as we do that, verse 16, listen, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. As we follow the Spirit, the Spirit cries out to our Heavenly Father. You've heard me say before, I, um, I forget where I first heard this from, it wasn't original with me, but that when you believe in Jesus, you become homesick for a place you've never been. Is that you now have this longing inside of you for this place that you've never been, he heaven, God's very presence. And as we do that, verse 16, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. If you want confidence that you are a child of God, you have to walk in the Spirit. And over time, this confidence, this security grows in that. Because the Spirit continues to save you from your practical sins again and again and again and again and again. But most of us don't, or many times people don't have that security because they're only looking back on this one transaction that happened. And again, I'm not making light of that at all. It's glorious. But it's transaction after transaction after transaction after transaction where we trust, where we trust Him. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Let me just ask the same thing another way. I said that the Spirit's life looks like making us secure in the love of the Father. Are you secure in the Father's love this morning? Do you know that your Father loves you? Do you know that Almighty God looks upon you like I look upon my kids? And to way greater measure, how do I look upon my kids? I love them. I see all the good things. I totally know that they can be complete knuckleheads at times. And we're all kids, so you know it's true of us too. We total knuckleheads. But there is nothing, there is nothing, nothing, nothing that could make me stop loving them. Is that the real? Is that your day-to-day -day reality that you live in? that you know that your heavenly Father loves you like this. And again, what he's saying here is 
just be honest with yourself. If that's not your reality, it's because you're not moment by moment walking in the Spirit. Because the Spirit wants to lead you to that reality. The Spirit wants to lead you to cry out to your Heavenly Father again and again and again and again. Abba, Abba, Abba. You're awesome. I need you. Save me again. And He will. Worship team, why don't you come up and we'll close. We're just not going to make it. We're not going to make it today. I told you, I didn't know. Preaching on the Spirit, I got to be open to being led by the Spirit. If I go for the next grouping of texts, we will be here till 2 o'clock. Okay, so, so we're just going to stop. Guys, would you just bow your heads and close your eyes with me? Heavenly Father, um, Abba, would you please, would you please just come fill us with your spirit? Lord, would you please help every heart here this morning to trust you? Would you please save us again from the practical chains and bondages of sin that hold us. We need you. And Father, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you that you promised us, Lord Jesus, that you absolutely, positively would not leave us as orphans. And so Father, whatever it takes, Lord, I believe that I'm praying according to your word, according to your will. And Father, you say that if we ask anything according to your will, we're going to have it. Father, I pray that you would begin a process today, this morning, in each and every heart where you begin to break the chains of bondage, of sin, of death in the mind, of addiction, whatever it might be, Lord, and that you teach each one of us, myself included, please, Lord, to walk in the Spirit step by step, moment by moment, living in the life that you intended for your children. Lord Jesus, to, to go after anything else is not your will. To have any lower standard is not your will. Lord, we want your law, your, your holiness and your love to be fulfilled in us and through us, Lord, to the world. And Lord Jesus, just like it was in the day of salvation, Lord, I'm crying out to you again, Father, again, that would you do that in us, Lord. Do it in us as a church. God, change us. Do whatever you need to do, Lord Jesus, to make us known as a spirit-filled, spirit-led, spirit-empowered people for your honor and for your glory. Not because the music's awesome, not because the preaching's good, not because, you know, we meet in a theater that looks like a barn or whatever, but Lord, that we would be marked by the presence of your Holy Spirit. Father, this is what you intend for us, God. We can't, and Father, I pray you'd forgive me if I have ever communicated that the standard is anything other than this. Lord Jesus, we need you. We need you. We need, we don't just need stuff about you. We don't just want your blessings, Lord. We, we need you, yourself, your very presence 
in us and among us and upon us and through us. Please, Lord Jesus, please do this in us. Lord, I think of relationships this morning that in our congregation that are not reconciled, things that are not right, things that are broken. Father, we all have them, Lord. And Lord, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We stand in that freedom and that justification that you've provided. But Father, we pray for relationships to be reconciled. We pray for healing. We pray for unity. We pray for supernatural reconciliation, Lord, in our lives. And Lord, we can't do it. Lord, we cannot do it. But Father, we're not looking to do it. Lord, we can't. We've tried. We've tried to, we've tried to fix things. Lord Jesus, we're turning our eyes to you. Our Heavenly Father, our Abba, Father. That you would heal us and that you would change us. Father, I pray that you take away any roots of unforgiveness, any roots of bitterness. I pray that you take away unbelief. I pray you take away, Lord, as First John talks about, the spirit of the Antichrist, that Jesus Christ has not come in the flesh. You take this away, Lord. You take away the spirit of unbelief that you can't actually show up. You can't actually change us. You can't actually do anything. It's a lie. It's a lie. You are the same yesterday, today, and forever, Lord Jesus. And Father, I want us as a church to experience the fullness of your spirit, and I want it because I see it in your word, Lord Jesus. And I pray, Father, before my brothers and sisters, Father, that you would change in me anything that needs to be changed in order for this to happen. You had changed in me, Lord, anything. Father, I pray, I pray, Lord, I, Lord, I don't want to stand in the way of anything that you want to do. I don't want to stand in the way of anything. So please, Lord, have mercy upon me. Have mercy upon each one of us. And do not let us stand in the way of anything that you want to do among us. Because we belong to you. You purchased us. You purchased us with your shed blood. We are not our own. We were bought with a price. And so, Jesus, do with us whatever you want. Please, Lord. Jesus' name I pray. Amen. And guys, I want to, we're going to take communion here. Um, if you're helping serve, you can come forward. But guys, let's just continue to worship, okay? That's what the Spirit wants to do in us. If you don't know what else to do, I guarantee you, He always wants you to worship Jesus. If you're confused about how to get back on the path, if you're confused about how to get back in step with the Spirit, how to walk with Him, you can always know for sure that he wants you to worship Jesus. First Thessalonians chapter 5, give thanks in all circumstances. Pray, with, pray without ceasing. Or be joyful in all circumstances. Pray without ceasing, always giving thanks. So this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. And I want to give an invitation to you this morning, Lord, as, as we come. Um, if you just need, feel like you need uh, prayer for anything specific in your life, as we're taking communion, I'm going to be standing in the back. And I would just love to pray for you, if you want. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, and when he'd given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, broken for you. As often as you eat of it, do it in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup. He said, this is my blood in the new covenant. As often as you drink of it, do it in remembrance of me.